the best way to get through a disaster or an emergency of any kind is to be prepared. And yet, so many of us are not prepared at all. What is a disaster? What would be a disastrous event in your life? That's the place to start. And you got a go bag? My guest, Katie Belfi, has a go bag, a serious go bag. She's going to tell us all about it and tell us what kinds of things we should be prepared for and how to do it. Easy peasy. Stuff we need to do, girls. Join me. This is the Rebellious Wellness Over 50 podcast for women over 50 who have a lot of living yet to do, who want to enjoy the ride for as long as they can in good health and with a sense of humor, maybe a little wine. I'm Gregory Ann Cox, and I believe it's time to bust the myth that aging equals decline in every area of life. Nonsense. I would say something else, but I'll keep it clean for now. Aging happens, but it doesn't have to ruin your life. You just need to get a little rebellious in your approach. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Rebellious Wellness Over 50 podcast, where we talk about things that you don't hear a lot in the world, especially today's conversation about readiness and preparedness. Are you ready for anything that might come your way? We'll find out. My guest today is Katie Belfi. She is a readiness and resilience consultant and I'm going to let you tell I'm going to let her tell you about her background. It's really interesting and in how she transitioned into actually working with individuals like you and I. Katie, welcome. Hi, Greg. Thanks so much for having me. You're welcome. I'm I'm so excited to be talking to your listeners because I think that this topic is especially important for folks over 50 who might you know, sort of think that this is something that they've worried about their whole lives and they don't have to worry about anymore, or the opposite, feel like this is something that they really, really need. And I I came about to individual and family resilience through a very, very career path. I was an attorney for FEMA that really got me started uh, in the emergency management world. And then after a few stops along the way as an emergency manager, I decided to go out on my own to help corporations and organizations and colleges become more resilient and more ready. And then in February of 2021, I lived through the freeze in Austin, Texas. Oh, wow. And, you know, I just talking to my friends and neighbors, I was astounded at just how unprepared people were. And not just for a freeze, like, yeah, sure, we're in Texas, you, you didn't have a snow shovel. But people were just completely unprepared for anything. Wow. And it was sort of a wake-up call for me. And when I, when I got down to it and I reflected on the things in my life that have, have really driven me, my passion has always been for helping people. And so that was really my pivotal moment. And that's what redirected my business. And here I am today. Well, I'm glad you're here. You talk about... Um thinking about your neighbors in Austin, you talk about the ripple effect, but let's first of all talk about, um, or give the people an idea of really what we're talking about is preparedness for a disaster on a major scale, small disaster, such as an accident, who takes you to the hospital, who cares for your pets and your things like that. So the, the ripple effect is in that idea that if we're ready, we are better able to help those in our community that are not so ready. So let's talk about the most 
basic idea of readiness for, let's just say, you know, you, you live in Texas, who thinks about a freeze? And maybe people had generators because they like their air conditioning to be on and you do have power outages. But what are the things that people generally don't think about when we think about disaster preparedness or readiness? I mean, so many things, Greg. It's hard to answer that question succinctly. <laughs> and, you know, I think you, you made a really good point about what we're trying to do here. And I think that it, it sort of helps me answer this question because when I talk about preparedness, I talk about ways that we can truly make it personal. And to make it personal, you need to define disaster for yourself. Mm. And so the first step in cultivating this type of readiness is really doing that self-inquiry. You know, what are the things that could happen in my life that would significantly impact my ability to keep living the way I want to live? And that could be anything from losing a job, having an investment go bad, to, you know, suffering a major natural disaster. And so helping people understand that this type of preparedness cultivates a holistic resilience that actually puts you in a position to be better prepared for any adversity, it, it allows them to sort of come to the table with more enthusiasm. And so step one is taking it out of that natural disaster silo and just thinking about preparedness as a way of investing in yourself. Like this is, this is your new self-care regimen is thinking about your preparedness. I like that idea. I mean, I do too. <laughs> you really just broadened the scope for me, probably for the listeners as well, that it could be loss of a job, an investment gone bad. Uh, we talked a minute ago about a spouse unexpectedly dies. And one of the things that you talked about on your blog is that studies have shown that the stress response during emergencies, and I'm thinking of anything as an emergency, somebody dies, you break a leg, you lose a job that contributes to the feeling of uncertainty, which contributes more stress. And I'm the person who thinks about stress in the body and what that does to us and talk about lowering our resilience. It does, yeah. right? Stress hormones yeah. will continue to circulate. So I, I love that you said you brought that study in to, to bring to light that if we're prepared, that, that won't be part of the stress. We will know that we have something in place so we don't have to worry and our head isn't spinning about all this stuff that we didn't do. And now, now what? That's the big thing. Now what? That's it. And, you know, I, I, get, I, I deliberately put that study in there because I get this response all the time from people when I say, why don't you prepare for disasters or why haven't you prepared for disasters? The response is, it gives me anxiety. I don't want to think about it. It uh -huh. stresses me out. It stresses me out just to think about it. And, and, you know, the, the, the interesting thing is that if we can confront that initial anxiety and that initial stressor, we're actually, you know, it's going to pay off dividends for our stress response down the road. Because thinking through this emergency situation and allowing ourselves to almost embody it and sort of think through like, okay, what would I do if this happened? What do I currently have? What do I need to add to this? We do just that. We reduce that feeling of uncertainty around our own safety. And we give our brains a memory of us being able to handle that difficult situation. So neurologically, it actually creates a sense of well-being in that difficult situation. And I bet people will think, oh, I've never done any preparing, but they have in some ways. So maybe, maybe you have children at home, so you learned CPR 
or you have an elder parent, so you've got the paddles, the electronic one, and you learned how to use, I just learned, recently learned how to use those paddles because we live in a place where there is somebody that might need it. Well, anybody could need it. but And so all along the way, especially people that have children, you've taken steps to prepare to protect your children, to protect your home, to protect... And then there are these little subtle things that make such a big difference in the moment that we just don't think about. And yeah. one, ooh, sorry, one of those uh, that comes up for me is what happens if I need somebody? Is, so my husband and I, we don't have our kids here. They live far away. What happens if one or both of us gets incapacitated? And like you said, you don't want to think about that. The same kinds of we don't want to think about, our parents don't want to think about, we need to plan, mom. Dad, yep. what would you like yep. to have? Do you have a living will? Do you have a, you know, a proxy? And oh, I don't want to talk about it. I'm only 85. Well, then I'm stressed. They re- they actually are stressed. I remember yes. my great aunt, my aunt, who's 89 years old. It took us about a year to get through the, and then she was finally really into it. But she just, and so everybody is now stressed mm-hmm. because we haven't thought about it. We haven't talked about yep. it. We don't know. And we get to the doctor and they say, do you have a living will for this person? What do they want? And now at this point is not the time to ask right. anybody. Right. And, but I, I love the fact that, you know, you mentioned that it took a year. I think that's a really important point that we don't all come to this road to resilience at the same, we don't start at the same starting line. And especially given what we're living through right now and what we've been living through for the past two years with this pandemic, folks have been carrying a lot. Mm. There's a lot of stress for a lot of people. There's trauma, you know, there's hurt, there's loss. And you know, that, that shouldn't be overlooked. I don't, I, I think that in our culture, there's a tendency to equate resilience with grit. And I think that there's a, there's a careful nuance there. I think part of resilience is giving yourself the, the sort of grace to say, I'm not ready to do this right now. I need some time to recover from what I've just gone through, or I need to process the stress that I'm feeling based on the conversation that you're trying to have with me but I'll come back around to it. Mm-hmm. And that's a key to resilience that's so often overlooked. You know, I don't, I'm, I'm a pusher of preparedness, but for me, it's very important that we keep that human element in what we're doing. Mm. And would you say, so now somebody has an awareness of the idea of, of, you know, being resilient, being prepared, would you say, and I know you have a great download, an ebook, I'm going to call it a checklist that people will hear about in a minute. What What is the most important thing, if you could quantify most important, where people start? So I like to break it down with a simple approach, and I turn this into an acronym that you can also find on my website. Okay. And this is the simplest way that I can sort of give people like a you know, this is your, your basement approach to preparedness. If you focus on these things, so S is your safety, safety and shelter. So thinking about what are the things that I need to stay safe in my, in my current shelter, or if I need to find another shelter. So that includes thinking about, you know, understanding the utilities in your home and the vulnerabilities that exist, making sure that you know how to turn them off and making sure your property is clear of any risks but then also understanding how you would evacuate and where you might go. So that's your S. Your I is information, understanding where you would get critical information like emergency notifications. So signing up for emergency notifications from state and local government 
also having a radio that can tune in to the um, the NOAA NWS. That's the uh, the National Weather Station, basically, that will give you weather alerts. And then that personal information, so copies of any of those critical documents you were talking about, identifications, and sort of any other pieces of documentation that could support you later on, like insurance policies, or if you have any, you know, any other documents that are critical for your medical records, that kind of thing. M, medical, bringing us back around to medical. So taking care of any medical needs for you and your loved ones, including prescription as well as over-the-counter medication and those medical devices. P is your provisions, that's your food and your water. Think about how much you're going to need for a minimum of 72 hours. And don't forget pets. Your L is your loved ones, thinking about who's depending on you and who are you depending on. And E is your energy. So thinking about where you're getting your backup power from and what are the critical components in your home that you need to maintain power for. I know it's a long-winded thing to talk through, but when you look at it in an infographic, it fits neatly into a little box for you. <laughs> and we will share where they can see that graphic. Great. I, when you said energy, I immediately thought of personal energy. Yes. What well, I mean, that's... Because when emotions go high, intelligence goes low, stress makes us all kind of ready, but where, how are we going to maintain that energy? We had a fire on the property, a building right next to us about a year and a half ago. And after a whole day of, you know, managing the fire department, all this stuff that was going on and watching them demolish, and we were both completely exhausted, but it was a day I would have gone grocery shopping. So we really didn't have anything that wasn't frozen and we didn't feel like eating. We didn't have electricity. So we had wine and potato chips, I think, for dinner that Perfect. was Perfect. all we could do, you know. But had we, you know, we didn't have a dry, ready-to-eat kind of thing that we could have just, yeah. you know, no, I don't even have a lot of canned food. But the point was we had to take a step back and say, what would we do next differently to manage yes. energy as well as managing the things that go on around a disaster, that is, it's such an insightful response, Greg. And it's, you know, it's something that I talk about when I'm talking through this with clients that you basically can apply that acronym on the preparedness side and the personal side. Yeah. And like, there's, there's an, there's an, you know, an equal response that's just as important on the personal side, alongside that very practical preparedness side. So thank you for bringing that up. Oh, gosh, yeah. We could go in so many directions. There's so many. I know. I know. For. You have an assessment, though. Um, your ready or not assessment. Yep. Tell people what that actually assesses, because we've talked yes. about a lot of things. Yeah. And I've, I've made some tweaks to it recently, sort of bringing in a bit more of that mindfulness aspect of resilience and reflecting on how that contributes to our overall ability to cope with disasters. And what this assessment is intended to do is essentially help you establish your starting point. You can't figure out where you need to go on your road to resilience unless you understand where you're at today. And for a lot of people, I'm asking questions that they, you know, they've never asked themselves, even though they think they're in a place of pretty solid preparedness. And then, you know, suddenly I get a response back with, oh my God, I can't believe that was my score. I thought I was so ready for this. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's no judgment. Nobody sees your score, but you, but um, for a lot of folks, it's been, and even that assessment alone has just been a really enlightening exercise. Yeah, I'm sure. 
I'm thinking about people that have remote families, families that don't live near them, especially in the case of elder parents. How do you advise, say, me living here in New Jersey? My aunt might be a little bit of a stretch for many people. She lives in Mexico. Mm -hmm. The only thing that we can do, really, because we can't get there very quickly, is we know her neighbors. We have the phone number of her landlord. We have contact emails. Everybody has our phone, right? So what would you advise? Let's just say I live in New Jersey. My elder parents are in Pennsylvania. How do I prepare them in the time it takes for me to maybe get there? How do you help those people? Well, I mean, you mentioned a few of the first great steps in terms of establishing multiple means of communication, right? I think the other key is talking them through these disasters and really helping them build the muscle memory for what they would need to do to help themselves. And whether that means calling you or calling that neighbor right away, or, you know, you know, say they, they, they don't have their cell phone, their, their cell phone going physically to that neighbor and sort of getting that help and notifying them to notify you. It's building that approach before you need it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, again, you're going to, you're going to confront some of that. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to think about it, but if you can help people understand that if we do this now, this won't be something that causes us stress later. I think that's a really good way of putting it. Mm-hmm. And and maybe putting, you know, positioning it in such a way that it's not necessarily about the gloom and doom. You know, it, it doesn't have to be end of world disasters, but it could be something small. Like if, you know, say, say one of them takes a fall and the other one isn't sure what to do. Mm-hmm. Just talking them through the plan a few times and, and, you know, doing it in a way that you're asking them, prompting them, okay, if this happens, what do you do? Sort of testing them a little bit. I mean, that, that would be my suggestion for sort of bolstering that. I think the other piece of it is, if, if possible, building that relationship with those neighbors that you're depending on to sort of be your first point of contact with those elderly relatives that are, you know, sort of living at a distance. Because there is a chance that in an emergency, you won't be able to reach them, either because of a power outage or because, you know, cell service is down. You know, we've seen it happen before. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, this is the, this is the biggest challenge for preparedness, but I think it's really the key to our success and that's reconnecting our communities. Hmm. I, I just had a flashback when you were talking about documents, one of your letters in the acronym, we have started scanning all of our insurance cards and the COVID card, you know, every single thing when I mm-hmm. think it's like, Oh, I don't have that yet. And that's an easy way not to have to worry about damage because even in a safe you know, the safe could get buried under rubble or you could sure. have access to it for a few days and you might need, you know, your insurance cards or something. So that's just a little tip for people to who are computer savvy. Although just just to complicate that a little further, okay. I do I do tell people to print an extra copy of the, the super critical stuff and put it in your go bag just so you have a hard copy. You're not depending on your cell phone. Oh, should it should it die or get damaged or lost? Yeah, good idea. Um, and so, you know, you don't need every file you've ever had, but just the real key documents. Have a copy in your go bag. What's in your go bag, Katie? So much stuff. Um, <laughs> Do you have a go no, bag? <laughs> no, I don't. I actually I have a go bag that I can carry on my back um, because for me, that's, you know, that's essential. So I 
this could be a whole separate conversation, but let's start with our, our S, our safety and shelter. So for me, I think about what do I need to be seen, heard, safe, sheltered? So a uh, uh, headlamp, reflectors, a whistle. Um, I have uh, a sort of thermal blanket in there, an emergency shelter, like pop-up tent that we could use, very small. It's not gonna, it's not gonna do very much, but it's something. Um, for information, I've got my, my emergency radio, the NWS radio, and I have a copy of all my documents. My medical, I have, um, thankfully, I'm not on any permanent prescription drugs, but I do have all of my over-the-counter medication that I depend on regularly packed up, noted with the expiration date. And I have a little calendar for checking in and updating that go bag. For my provisions, I have, this is my go bag, so this isn't my full supply, just highly concentrated caloric bars and a few packs of emergency water. And one of my favorite things for a go bag is a life straw. It's a portable uh, water filter. I've also got some iodine tablets uh, and for my loved ones. So, you know, they, I've got my contact information for everybody I need to, I need to contact potentially written down in case I don't have my cell phone and for energy I've got a, I've got batteries for my flashlights and my lanterns that are in there. And then I have a solar power battery, battery pack that's small enough that I can carry it with me, but will give me backup power to take with me. And that's really sort of the bare minimum. Um, the one other thing that's in there is emergency cash, which mm -hmm. it doesn't explicitly fit into the acronym, but if power's down, ATMs and credit card machines aren't going to be working. So make sure to always keep that in your go bag. It sounds so simple. <laughs> I try to keep it that way. It simple. simple. Um, and you know, I, Greg, there's, when I think about bags and I, I teach this, there's sort of basic, better, best. And it depends on a lot of things. It depends on your ability to purchase these things. It depends on your ability to st store these things and carry these things. And my mission is to make preparedness accessible for as many people as possible. And I think that a huge barrier to entry is the expectation that if I can't build a bunker, I might as well not do anything. <laughs> and, you know, I, I just, I really don't want people to think that they need to have everything in order to be prepared. Having something is far better than nothing. And at the end of the day, it's these capabilities that you cultivate over the commodities that you're buying that are really going to be the things you depend on. Mm -hmm. Did you put extra socks in your go bag? Always. <laughs> extra socks and gloves. Oh my God, I forgot to mention the socks. I was like, wait, my feet are cold. <laughs> she didn't think of her socks. Plus, if your socks get wet, there is nothing worse than wet socks. Yeah. And then you won't be able to walk. Critical. Right. Let's talk about where uh, people can find out. Where can people find that uh, graphic that you talked about? Absolutely. So on my website, www.katiebelfi.com, on the resources page, there's a ton of free resources, including the full ebook that you mentioned, but also just individual resources that are nice little tidbits of information and um, templates to help you build things like your go bag. And I'm currently running a social media challenge on Instagram. It's also on Facebook, but it's, it's sort of, we're, we're, we're getting over to Facebook. We're migrating slowly. Uh, and that's the ready for real challenge. And folks can sign up for that on my website as well and have all of the challenge content delivered to their inbox every day. 
as I have been. I'm on day 13, I think, and uh, really enjoying it. You know, I thought at first I do this because I really like to get to know my guests on a podcast. But then I thought, wow, there's a good idea. I know. I hadn't thought of that. For when I first got oh, I love to hear that. Yours was the ebook. And I have to say, I started scrolling. I thought, I'm a failure already. I mean, the, so oh, people, yeah. if you download the ebook, it's really comprehensive, but don't feel like you have to do it all in one seated sitting. And don't feel like, again, you said earlier, no judgment, right? If yes. it's a no, the first three pages are like, I don't know. I, I, that's okay. You're going to get to something. You're going to go, yeah, 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 I got that. Or I want to do right. that right now. I mean, honestly, this conversation and reading that book has made me start thinking about some of the easy things that we could do. And really, when you said, you know, you're sheltering, like what matters most to us? What, in what capacity do I want to be ready? Mm-hmm. Like taking on everything right now. And that's exactly right. It's a choice, right? I'm not, I don't want to be foolhardy, to use an old fashioned word, but I also know my limit for taking in this stuff. I won't do it if it's, uh, if it's annoying, you know? That's right. That's right. And you have to respect your bandwidth. And I think the only way it will be successful for you is if that's your approach. You know, I think that's the message is that you don't have to be prepared for every single disaster. Yeah. You know, that's, that's not, that's not the effective approach. And so I, I really love that message. And I think that finding those small pieces to break off at a time is really an effective way to go about it. And that's, that was really what I was hoping to achieve with the challenge was giving people something that felt accessible and digestible enough that it felt like, okay, I can get started on this and not feel like I have to climb this whole mountain to be successful. Yeah. And I feel like I'd be doing you a disservice if I didn't give you a couple of minutes to talk about the other work that you do for corporations. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's really what, what started this all off. Um, I, I sort of deliver what's considered emergency management consulting from soup to nuts. So helping companies and from, from really colleges to fortune 500 companies build emergency preparedness programs. So establishing their plans building a planning team, building a response team, conducting drills and exercises to sort of develop that muscle memory, all the way to helping these companies and corporations respond to and recover from disasters. So it's a really comprehensive service. Um, And in doing that, I sort of realized that in many instances, the work I was doing was extremely successful if there were resilient individuals on the ground to carry it through. Mm -hmm. And without those resilient individuals, the institutional resilience really just, it crumbled. You know, it can't be a top-down initiative. It's got to be a grassroots rise up. And so, you know, this, this, this effort has really proven to be a perfect complement for this work because now I can sort of work with the C-suite and talk about what we're doing from a strategic level, but also provide the support for the employees and the staff to get to a place where they're resilient in their own right to then plug into the institutional resilience strategy. And that goes back to the beginning of our conversation about the ripple effect. You have the companies, but you're also nurturing the individuals within the company who then go into their communities and their homes, their families. That's exactly right. It's everybody gets better. Yes. I mean, just, and just this conversation is a drop in that ripple effect. Yeah. You know, I think when people insist on like, you know, give me one thing to do to become resilient, <laughs> it's start talking about preparedness. Yeah. Just start talking about it. 
it's incredible what a conversation with one person can do. I am going to spend uh, three days with my 10 of my high school girlfriends in a couple of weeks. We rent a house at the beach every uh, fall and we we're trying to think of things, you know, we're going to bring a card deck that has questions and I'm going to bring your questionnaire about preparedness and just see. Oh, where fabulous. I'll live all over the place, but it's just, you know, we're uh, very similar and very different. So I'm curious to see what comes up. Oh, I love that idea. We can, we can make this a game. We can turn, we can turn this assessment into a game, Greg. You could, and I have a couple of prototypes. Actually, there are two card decks that um, might work for you. I will send you an email. Honestly. I have actually, I've just been stewing on the idea of a what if scenario deck. So this is very synchronous. That's so interesting. Yeah. And <laughs> those kinds of card decks are really becoming so popular now. Asking yeah. those heavy duty questions or funny ones and, you know, just to bond or create intimacy. Um, yeah, absolutely. Well, there you go. Which just been confirmed for you. You keep doing that. <laughs> I will. Okay. Well, Katie, thank you so much. This has been really, really good information. Very thought provoking. And I hope that we have created a ripple effect amongst our listeners. Thank you so much, Greg. It's been such a pleasure. You're welcome. People, be well till next time. I'll be back in a week with something extra special as usual. Hey, everybody. I have a favor to ask. If you enjoyed this episode or any of the other episodes that you listen to, please leave a review on your favorite site for listening to podcasts. You can also leave a comment on my website where you'll find the podcast at the podcast tab or under any of the guest podcast episode pages. Thanks. It means a lot to me and I appreciate you. Be well till next time.